Welcome to Eat, Drink, Innovate, the podcast about food startups, innovators and entrepreneurs who are making their mark in Australia's dynamic food and beverage industry. The future of food is happening here. Come join Susie White at the table to eat, drink and innovate. Uh-huh. Hello everyone, I'm Susie White and welcome to episode 17 of the Eat, Drink, Innovate podcast. In this podcast, I talk with food startups, entrepreneurs and innovators to get behind the scenes and find out what they're doing to build their business and make their mark on the Australian food industry. And in the aftertaste section, I give you a brief insight, learning or secret of success that I've gleaned from my guest's experience. Today, I'm talking with Talia Minot. She's the co-founder with Scott Turner of Made with Raw Love. They make raw chocolate and cacao elixirs with certified organic and wild harvested ingredients. In this episode, you'll hear how Made with Raw Love is really a love story all in itself. On one of Talia and Scott's first dates, Scott prepared some frankincense and honey raw chocolate. The use of healing oils in chocolate was a source of inspiration for Talia, and together they have forged an enviable lifestyle business. Now, Made With Raw Love really expresses Talia and Scott's personal passion for healing with healthy food. It also enables Scott to continue his creative and design pursuits and complements Talia's practice and food philosophies as a holistic nutritionist. And lastly, in this episode, you'll learn about the benefits of sharing your founder's origin story as a food and beverage business. So welcome to the podcast, Talia. Thanks so much for having me. It's always good to set the scene and maybe in your own words, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and about your business. Sure. So I am the co-founder of Made With Raw Love. Um, we're a raw organic chocolate business that originally started in Melbourne four and a half years ago, but now we live on the beautiful northern New South Wales. Um, my background is actually as a holistic nutritionist. So um, I guess our chocolates, they, I guess the mission behind it was to create a really healthy chocolate. So we've kind of used my skills as a nutritionist and my partner, who is the other co-founder, he's He's very into his health as well. So we've used both of our skills and our love to create um, the brand, which is made with raw love. Now, let's dive into your background a little bit because nutrition and concern about food, that's that's a really big area nowadays. Everybody's tapping into this well-being and food's definitely a part of that. What made you decide to do this business on top of being a practicing uh, holistic nutritionist? It was funny, actually. It kind of, it was one of those things that just organically happened. There was never any intention to start a food manufacturing business. So there's been a lot of learning curves on the way because of that. But I was actually working, I was practicing and working in a health food store in Melbourne. Um, and I actually met my partner at a meditation evening and we had a couple of dates and he actually made raw chocolate for me on one of our dates and he made one with frankincense oil in it which now is one of the flavors that we have and I actually wasn't a big chocolate eater but he'd made this delicious raw organic and of course it was made with love and it was using frankincense oil which is something that 
I'd never really seen, I guess, the combination of chocolate with really healthy and different ingredients. So after that date, um, I think it was literally the next day I called him up and I was like, I think we need to do this as a business. So from there, it just, yeah, it just organically grew into the business that it now is. I love that. Scott's wooing you with chocolate and you're seeing the business idea. I know what we need to do with this today. (laughs) Let's dive into that. Where where does Scott's chocolatier talents come from? How does he know how to make this amazing chocolate? Do you know what? I think actually one of the housemates that he was living with is quite a really good raw chef and he was making chocolate. So I think Scott had been watching him make chocolate and just thought I'd give it a go and tried and actually made really delicious chocolate. So (laughs) that's just how it happened, which is quite funny because a lot of, I'm sure there's a lot of companies out there and there's some I even know of that do, you know, they do the schooling or do some type of chocolate course. And we really just, I guess, fumbled. I don't know if that's the right word, but we really just, yeah, I guess fumbled our way through it. And, you know, it, it took a lot of learning, especially to get the right tempering of the chocolate and all of that. But yeah, we just we just learnt along the way. Let's dive into that journey because I love to hear how people go from that very first idea to actually getting something out there into the market for sale. So Scott's um, wowed you with this amazing chocolate. You've said there's something interesting here that fits really well with your background as a holistic nutritionist. Where did you start? I mean, how did you know kind of what recipes to make and where did you make the chocolates? So we were really lucky that I worked at a health food store. So I had a bit of a background on what people liked. I had a background on what was already out there. So we knew we wanted to make something different. And it probably took, I'm going to say, maybe seven or eight months before we actually launched the business. So there was a lot of researching in that time for ingredients. We wanted to source really amazing ingredients. And yeah, so eight months later, we... We had a business. So we launched it first in the health food store that I was working in. And because I was working in there, I was able to get that direct feedback from customers as well. So I met Scott at um, a meditation evening that happened weekly. And so we actually started taking different flavors to the meditation evening every week and getting feedback there. We had some pretty lucky participants in that. (laughs) What a great way to trial your first samples, two really credible sources that are straight to the people that you probably want to get to. Now, let's talk about, you touched on your ethos around ingredients. Tell me a little bit about the research you did, because I know looking at the brand and and some of your website material, you seem to really look for ethical providers who are supporting local communities. How did you find out the right people to source some of those ingredients? So what we did, we decided on the recipes first and, you know, it's been um, a slow process with launching those as well. So we've got eight flavors now in the chocolate range and we've got five flavors in the elixirs, but that's been over four and a half years. So we started off with our three flavors and first we decided what ingredients we wanted. So we nitpicked each ingredient to do a lot of research. Now, Scott is amazing at the research end of things. He really went into the nitty gritty of researching all the, for instance, all the companies that do coconut oil, where they're sourcing their coconut oil from, if they're giving back to the farmers. So that was something that was really important to us. And that's something I guess that we do in our daily life. And the business is a real reflection of, of how we live and what we support and what we want to do. So it is, it is very closely linked to, to us and, and how we are. So 
yeah, it was a lot of research. We also obviously asked a lot of people because I was in the industry already. I was able to speak to some of the suppliers directly that were coming um, into the store. I was also able to speak to other employees about what they thought was the best source of specific ingredients. So we were really lucky that we were already, I guess, in, in the industry somewhat. Like you said, um, everything that we source is it's either certified organic or wild harvested. It's all fair trade and and where possible, we find companies that are giving back. So we get our Australian bush foods from Australian Superfood Co. And they really give back to the community as well. We really try and support that because that means a lot to us. Now let's dive into some of your products because they're they're not your regular chocolates, as you said. You were inspired at first by that frankincense and and honey raw chocolate. I'm seeing you've got flavors, particularly of the chocolate, of things like matcha latte, immuni shroom, mint biotic crisp. Walk me through some of those products and why have they got those names and and what what's involved with them? Sure. The first ones we launched was the Open Heart, the Bee Love and oh, the Immuni Shroom. We started with the recipes and then we would create the names out of that. Um, the Bee Love specifically has that name because we have sourced um, sustainable bee pollen and sustainable honey and we want people to know that we still love the bees and we support what they're doing. So that's where that name came from. The Open Heart, that name came from the fact that we use frankincense oil and that's the one that Scott made on one of our first dates. So it's got that open heart name because it resembles resembles one of our first dates. So that one's a bit of a love story, that one. But the combinations of the ingredients, it's really what we use. So it's what we use in our daily lives. So for instance, matcha lattes, we both love matcha lattes. So we just thought, okay, let's create a chocolate bar that that you know is using these ingredients that we love the immuni shroom back when we released that it was quite new but people are really getting into the medicinal mushrooms so we've got reishi and shaga which are chinese medicinal mushrooms in there um, you can't really taste them they're a little bit earthy but we were actually using those in our daily life so i guess it was really most of the ingredients that um, are in the bars and in the elixirs are things that you will find in our pantry and they're the things that we have used through our lives at different times. And tell me, I'm very familiar when I should be eating chocolate and for what reasons. Tell me about the elixirs. What were they designed for? When might I consume those? So we just launched those last year and I'm now in my early 30s and I just had a beautiful baby and then a lot of my friends were mums at the time and they were saying they wish they could make these amazing elixirs to you know help get their vitality back but getting it all done was was a little bit dreamy and I guess we live in that that society at the moment where a lot of people are quite busy so I just thought why don't we just create this elixir where literally all that um, the consumer has to do is add a spoonful to either hot or cold milk, a smoothie, they can add it to a dessert, they can make a bliss ball out of it, they can do whatever they want and they've got all those superfoods and functional ingredients all in that one single jar. So that's the reason why we created that range and yes, it's doing really well. And I've seen you've got elixirs for energy and libido and immunity. It really does feel like that message of food as medicine really comes through. Tell me about that. 
Yeah, definitely. And that's like you said, that's something that's really big now. People are really looking to nutrition as a function. They're more aware of what they're eating now. And there was probably a need for that because a lot of people, like I said, are getting busier. A lot of people are getting sick. So people are really using nutrition like you said, as medicine. And so that's where I guess our range comes in as well. We really wanted each ingredient to be used, something that's really healthy so that people don't have to feel guilty about it and actually going to do something um, good for their health. For instance, our mint biotic crisp has a pre and probiotic in it for the gut health. So you can have a chocolate bar and get your probiotics at the same time. Oh my gosh, it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. But let's get back to the business because I think we left you and Scott. You were selling it through the store, the nutrition store that you were working at. Scott was also taking it to some of the yoga and meditation classes. What was the next step from there? Did you try and get more uh, sales outlets or build your distribution? We did. So this is when we were both still living in Melbourne and We were both eating, uh, we mainly eat an organic diet. So uh, we both go to a lot of health food stores. So we actually just started approaching the stores that we visit and we'd um, formed relationships with the people that worked there. We were really lucky that we we knew a few people that owned some of the businesses locally and and they were really lovely and supportive of what we were doing because it was so different to a lot of things that were out there. And then we started approaching other outlets that we didn't necessarily know. So it, it took some time, but as with anything, once the ball starts rolling, it it just continues to roll. So at first, you know, we're only in quite a few stores or quite, quite a little amount of stores in Melbourne, but progressively it got larger and larger. And then that's actually when we moved to Northern New South Wales. <laughs> Nothing like establishing yourself locally and then completely moving. So <laughs> with that move, what, what changed about the business? You you couldn't probably call on those local shop owners anymore. No, and that was a little bit sad at the time. And I guess you didn't have that same rapport because um, initially we were visiting them all. You know, every, every couple of weeks we were going in and saying hi, we're having great chats with everyone. And then that ended up being um, a phone call away. So that was a little bit sad and it was, um, a little bit harder to to support them from afar, but that's when we decided to actually start working with some distributors because we knew that those distributors would be able to go in those stores and they can really have that one-on-one with the stores and support them, and we think that's really important. So we're now distributed Australia-wide, which is amazing. So they're able to offer the support that we're not able to being that far away from people. I've had some other guests on the podcast say they've struggled finding the right distributor. What was your experience? Did you find someone that really gelled with with kind of your values? So we have a different distributor in every state. And we decided just because of how niche our business is that we actually just wanted to work locally with, with other small distributors in each state and not go with a really big distributor and potentially get lost in the system somewhere. So I think that has definitely benefited us. There has been distributors that we have been with and unfortunately we've decided after six months or so that maybe they're not the right fit for us. But I think we've been really lucky and touch wood that um, majority of the distributors we've found definitely are, are aligned with us and support what we're doing. 
And so with this increased distribution, obviously also comes increased uh, volumes of production required. Were you still able to make the products yourself? Were you at home or where were you making the products at that stage? So originally we started making the products at home. We had a certified kitchen in the house we were living in and we we transferred that to northern New South Wales and we did the same thing. And then we moved out to our property at Mount Warning and we actually still have it there. We have a three by three cool room on our property. So we actually had that certified and we were making the chocolates out of that. Now, if you think of a three by three, it's actually quite small. And there really wasn't much space for more than two people to be um, creating at the one time. So nearly exactly two years ago, we've actually moved into a factory space just in our local town. So we do still make it all ourselves and majority of it we actually still do all by hand. We have a machine that tempers the chocolate for us. But other than that, everything we do by hand and we have amazing staff that um, help us out with that, which is something that actually we really, um, we really love. I think we love being able to give those jobs to local people, but we also like that to us, it feels like there's a little bit of love in it, having it all handmade. And we still want to be that artesian handmade company. It's time for a quick break now. When we come back, you'll hear more about how Talia and Scott continue to build a business that aligns closely with their personal passion and beliefs for ethically sourced food with healthy ingredients that can make all of us feel a little bit better. I'd just like to say a quick thanks to today's sponsor who helped make this podcast possible. It's Bedalia. They're a global food and beverage venture catalyst with decades of FMCG experience. They can help commercialize and accelerate your idea globally and shorten the time to profitability. Did you know that only one in 20 companies survive when trying to upscale and expand their business? That's why this business stage is often called the death zone. To avoid this, Bedalia works with entrepreneurial businesses at precisely the time when support is needed the most, when scaling up nationally or globally. They surround you with specialists and skills that complement your own, like strategic business planning, design and branding, supply strategy, and they can also support in operations, procurement, new product development, quality control, marketing, sales and distribution, and even social media, all tailored to your specific business needs. You can check them out at www.badalia.com. That's B-A-D-A-L-Y-A. And put them to work building your business. Welcome back. Today, I'm talking with Talia Minot from Made With Raw Love, and you've heard so far how she and partner Scott have relocated their business from Melbourne, Victoria to Mount Warning in New South Wales, how they've employed distributors and moved out of their 3 by 3 cool room into a factory space so they can continue to make their artisan chocolates and elixirs by hand without knocking elbows. And so I asked Talia, how does she find working with her life partner? Because let's face it, some of us wouldn't find that an easy thing to do. And what areas of the business do they each focus on? 
So Scott's actually a little bit more behind the scenes of the business. So originally when we first started out, he was definitely in it a lot more and we both were creating in the kitchen. But you're right, it is a little bit challenging when you live together, work together and dividing that time between work and your lifestyle can be a little bit tricky and we've we've definitely admittedly hit bumps with that. So we actually decided a couple of years ago that he would step back from creating but he does a lot of the behind the scenes so if there's a new flavor coming out he'll do the graphic design for it he'll create the labels he does a lot of the research um, because as, as much as we're really particular about the ingredients we use we're actually also really particular about the packaging so our new elixirs are in amber jars, but they also have biodegradable labels, which took quite a while to find biodegradable labels. So he does all the back end. So we generally don't cross paths too much, which I think creates um, a more healthy business for us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. And now you touched on the packaging, and I'd love to talk about that. So tell us a little bit about the the designs that we can see on the chocolates and on the elixirs, what kind of inspired the look and the feel? So that's all Scott's work. He's the one that creates those and he spends hours at night up until all hours before we actually conclude on the one we're going to do. But the feel, we really wanted something that felt organic. So the chocolate boxes and even the elixirs actually, the labelling, it's, it's like a brown colour and to us that feels that feels organic and it feels natural and that's what we wanted to convey with our customers and and that's where we're coming from. And all the packaging for the chocolates is 100% recyclable and compostable and that was really important to us to, you know, as as much as we wanted to create a business, we didn't really want to um, put a big footprint, I guess, on, on Mother Earth. So we thought, what can we do? that is going to be as sustainable as possible and that can be really challenging and it does come with a cost as well so I understand that a lot of businesses don't go that way but that was really important to us. And for anyone who who does look online at the Made With Raw Love website you'll see the the packaging as you say there's definitely this earthiness and wholesome to it with the colours and yet there's also this modernity these splash of colours that are that are quite young and funky and the names are as well yeah well done to Scott on that one. It is a true reflection of us, our business, and I don't think we could do it if it wasn't. So, you know, we thought if we're doing this, we can't really put something out there that's not true to us. I'm going to admit that there was a time when we were doing the elixirs and we were looking at labels and we were looking um, at the comparison of the biodegradable label. Then we had a look at just a regular label and we kind of looked at each other and we thought, can we just put a regular label on? And we were like, we both had a bit of a moment. We're like, we can't, we can't do it. <laughs> but I think, you know, it, it's important to us for the business to be a reflection of us. Yeah. And that, that tension between this is business and at some stage it's good to make a profit, otherwise it's a hobby, versus, you know, we have very authentic beliefs and we've got to live by those. Uh, I was looking at your products too, and I was stunned by the degree of maybe just detail that's in there. So I noticed that in the chocolate blocks, for example, each piece is made with a mold that has an R or a love heart or a W spelling the raw on it. Why would you go to that much detail, Talia? Surely that's harder with molds like that. Wouldn't it be simpler just to do plain <laughs> chocolate blocks? 
Yes, but no one told us this before. <laughs> this is where we've, you know, we've learned a lot along the way. And look, I'm glad we've done it the way we have. I guess we wanted them more personalized. So if someone threw the box away, you know, they pick that chocolate bar up and, and they still know it's ours. So that's why we wanted to personalize it. We actually got a friend of ours, her husband actually created the molds for us and he's an engineer and it was very new to him. So it took a lot of trials, um, as you can imagine, getting getting chocolate out of molds. We were very particular about the materials that we wanted the molds to be made out of. So we wanted um, molds that were made out of BPA and BPS-free materials which was a little bit challenging. So we've definitely had many trials and many batches that haven't come out amazing. And we've had to, you know, share those with staff and friends and all of that, which I'm sure they love. And it's funny, when you create product for consumers, there are sort of must-haves, i.e. the chocolate bar uh, or blocks, but then there are other things that are delighters. And to me, that feels like a delighter, a a lovely surprise. I wasn't expecting it. I open the pack and I, I see those beautiful molds. It just feels like a nice extra bonus for people. Oh, lovely. That's nice to hear. <laughs> now, of course, I've got to ask you, so the Elixirs were your latest launch. Are you one of those people that it's constantly your mind is churning with ideas? Are you sort of burning for the next thing? What are your thoughts for the next stages of your business? Yes. Um, hemp is the latest craze at the moment. And a lot of people, there's a lot of companies now that are doing things with hemp now that it's been, um, legalized in Australia as a food, which is, which is great. So we were presented with a pre and probiotic that has hemp seeds and hemp protein in it, which is incredible and is again something that we have had in the pantry for quite a long time, the hemp seeds. They're an amazing source of omegas, omega three, six and nine. So, they're really, really great food to have for the skin and for the brain and everything. So um, we're just about to launch that new bar. So that will have a hemp pre and probiotic in it, which we think is going to do really well. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait to try it. And it sounds like, Talia, you are right at the forefront. You're ahead of the trends on these things. How are you doing that? How are you knowing what's coming in in food and, and getting to it this quickly? Um, I think it's it's having the, the people around us. So we've got a lot of people around us who are in, in this industry now as well that we we network with, which is a really great thing about the health food industry. There's a lot of networking and I think people, um, from what we've found, you know, they're happy to support you even if they've got similar businesses. And, and Scott does a little bit of research and we also like to see um, what's on trend in America. So we usually look to there because they're usually a little bit ahead of us, particularly in the house food industry. Um, and then we generally feel like, okay, that's going to, to come here at some stage. So that's a good little tip. <laughs> will we will we ever be seeing Made With Raw Love overseas? Are you ever considering export or a food tourism business? Will we be able to knock on your farm gate and come in one day? So we actually are in discussions at the moment about um, exporting to a country which hopefully is happening soon and I don't want to say just in case um, something falls through but you will definitely see us overseas um, and even if this doesn't, you know, we will at some stage. We'd love to be overseas. There's specific areas we'd definitely love to target. Um, we'd love to just get the brand out there more and more in other places in the world as well. Mm, oh, terrific. Oh, great. Congratulations on that. And where would people 
be more likely to find your product locally, Talia? Is it available in, in the regular Coles and Woolworths or should we be looking in specialty stores? So it's it's mainly available in specialty stores, mainly in health food stores, um, some independent supermarkets such as the IGAs and also a few cafes are taking it on, especially with the Elixir range now. Great. And in terms of the size of the business now, is it big enough? Is it supporting you and Scott full-time or are you still consulting on the side as a nutritionist? No, I'm still consulting on the side as a nutritionist um, and I love that and I think I will continue to do that. And that's always been part of the plan for me to be doing that one or two days a week just to change up. So I think I'll continue to do that. And my main interest with that is women's health. I really love supporting women through different aspects of of their health. And Scott actually has another job as well. So we try and keep money in the business to grow the business at the moment. And we try and, and live off other means at this point. So you've got lots of pressures on your time, obviously, family and a consulting business and this food business as well. Let's touch on some of the charities because I think as part of this picture, I'll feel remiss if we haven't talked about those. I saw that you have made a commitment that 10% of your profits do go back to a charity of your choice. Which ones do you like to support? So we choose a different charity each year, but when we released our chocolate bars, we did the 10% for charity. So we've only been doing that for a couple of years now. And the first charity we supported, it was a charity in Melbourne that supported the homeless by giving the homeless care packs in terms of sleeping gear, but also in terms of food. And the second charity is is kind of aligned because we bought out our bush food flavors at that time. So we've got Brain Love, which has got your finger lime and lemon myrtle, which are two native Australian bush foods. And we've also got a bush food flavor, which has got um, rye berry and kakadu plum, which also two native bush foods. So that year and um, this year as well, we've decided to support non-for-profit for two years. So they're called Kirawi Indigenous and it's an Indigenous non-for-profit in um, Queensland. And you can find out a little bit more about them actually. There's a link um, on our website under charities and that's really important to us to give back to the community as well. Now, I, I'm going to ask you one big question, um, which is about more of an industry issue. I can't open a magazine these days and working in the food industry without seeing discussion and dialogue around big, bad sugar. What's kind of your take on it, Talia, and how do you deal with the whole oh. sugar issue with a product like chocolate? So it's funny you say that, actually, and it's something as a nutritionist and as a person and as a company that... We we actually agree with the big, big bad sugar. So our range, um, even though it's chocolate, we actually, our range is sugar-free. There's only one of our bars that is sweetened with sugar and it's sweetened with a natural sugar honey and that's Be Love. But the rest of our range is actually sweetened with a fermented glucose. So it has a zero calorie and zero GI rating. So basically what that means is that it doesn't raise insulin in your blood. So it doesn't really um, monitor in your system as, as sugar usually does. And a lot of people don't actually realize that cacao, which is the base of chocolate, is actually very bitter. And the reason why um, I guess chocolate generally does have a lot of sugar in it is to counteract that bitterness. But we actually love that bitterness. So when you taste our bars, you'll actually still be able to taste that bitterness. And even though we do use a fermented glucose and a honey 
um, they're still quite dark, the bars that we have. So you've still got that bitterness taste and bitter foods are actually great for the digestive system and they're great for, for your health. So we, um, our bars and, and our elixir range, um, they're all diabetic friendly, which was important to us as well because when we released our bars, there were a lot of raw chocolate bars out there, but um, not that I'm aware of. There was no raw chocolate bars that were organic and sugar-free as well. So all of our range is sugar-free except for that Bee Love one. I'm so glad I asked you that question because I feel like you might have solved this. And um, I love that comment on bitterness. And you're right. I just saw the other day too someone saying bitterness is the new flavor and that it's so good for us. And our palates are actually now adjusting to a more bitter uh, product types. Probably a good time to wrap up now. I'm conscious of the time. But I do like to ask, what advice would you have for other food startups or entrepreneurs who are trying to have a go at this? I think just go for it. And, you know, there's there's always going to be challenges, especially when you're a small business. But, you know, those challenges usually usually bring great lessons as well. So definitely go for it and push through those challenges. And there does come a time where the sun is definitely shining a lot more. And I think it's really important, like we've touched on, to have a support and network around you. So I think it's important to try and network and um, get some support from people who've done it all before. Now, lastly, where could people who are listening find out more about you and your business and, and where to buy your products? So you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Made With Raw Love. And also we have a website, madewithrawlove.com. Our Instagram links to my nutrition page as well if you're a woman and you're interested in that. And you can find us in, in most health food stores and IGAs and some cafes. And if there's somewhere that you love and you can't find us, just shoot us an email and we'll get in touch with them. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Talia. It has been fantastic. You have a very enviable business model. I think we'd all be loving your lifestyle and your sense of balance. I just wish you every success in the future and I can't wait to keep an eye out for those new products hitting the stores. Thanks so much. It was so great to chat and yeah, it was great to do this podcast with you. Aftertaste, the sweet taste of success. Thanks for sticking around. This is the part of the podcast when I think back on my chat with Talia Minot from Made With Raw Love and reflect on an insight from her food startup experience. And what a beautiful lifestyle business Talia and Scott have. It's impossible not to listen to it and admire how in tune Made With Raw Love seems to be with their very way of life, with who they are, their values, beliefs, and their lifestyle choices. And so today, I'd like to talk to you about something that's closely linked to this theme, and that's the benefit of sharing your origin story with your consumers, customers, employees, suppliers, and even the media. Now, one of the prevailing desires from consumers today is for greater transparency and authenticity in the businesses or the products they choose. I guess we're all a little bit jaded by businesses that behave badly when it comes to the ingredients they put in our products or the untrue origins of our food or the unsafe practices where they're made. So as a business, if you can be real, authentic and open about why you do what you do and how you do it, that can be a really powerful differentiator in the marketplace today. 
So rather than thinking about your business as some showy or impersonal veneer, what if instead you considered it an extension of yourself, an authentic reflection of who you are as the business founder or owner? Now, Talia and Scott are just doing this naturally. As Talia said, the business is a real reflection of how we live, what we support and what we do. Our bars and elixirs are full of things that you'd find in our own pantry. And rather than simply focusing on communicating the details of her raw and healthy product ingredients, Talia instead starts by sharing her origin story with us, which is that of a love story of a man making raw chocolate for a woman he wants to impress. And even the company name reflects this. It makes you want to learn more about the founders and their products, which are made with raw love. Now, I love to uncover origin stories in this podcast because it's the spark and the reason why people started a food business in the first place, and it's always unique. And I know some of you are probably rolling your eyes right now, but there is something amazing that you already have as a business founder or owner. You have an origin story that is genuinely unlike anyone else's. And it's funny because we're so quick to see how unique, special and interesting other people are, but we rarely see it in ourselves. So while it may be uncomfortable and you may think your products are good enough to speak for themselves, there are times when sharing your origin story can create a human connection, an emotional spark between your consumers, your business, and you that will help differentiate your business from competitors because you have a unique origin story. The power of an origin story also plays through so strongly in the media, just like in a podcast like this, because it's apparent that there's a good story to be told. And as listeners, we love stories. We love reasons, learnings, morals. It gives us a level of comfort and understanding and a sense that there's a reason for everything. So what does all this mean for you? Well, if you're a business founder and you're struggling to think or capture or express your own origin story, there's a couple of classic timeless approaches. Just like there are only seven story archetypes or plot lines in the literary world, I'm going to share with you the most popular origin story types that I've noticed in this podcast. Let's make a start. The first type of origin story is one that I call change and effect. It goes something like this. I did something and I changed. It's all about the transformative experience. So, for example, in episode 15, when we heard from Christy Lakito of the Wonder Snack Company, she started out as a pastry chef making cakes and taking them to farmers markets. But once there, she realized she'd need to do something quite different versus all the other sweet cakes and treats available. So she flipped her model. She started creating premium gourmet savory bar snacks instead that are now being ranged in luxury hotels. The second type of origin story is one I call problem need discovery. This is when I saw a problem and I needed to solve it. It can be very logical and rational or quite emotive too. 
A great example of this is from episode four, when we heard how Susie Daly of the Daly Potato Company had a desire to increase the local employment in her area and reduce the 40% wasted potato crops she experienced on her farm annually. So she started making potato vodka under the brand of Hellfire Bluff. Now, the third type of origin story is one I call lifelong passion. It goes something like, I was always interested or passionate about and I think that's the story of today's episode. It best reflects the story of Talia and Scott from Made With Raw Love, who live and breathe their healthy mind, body and food lifestyle and launched a business which reflected their deeply held beliefs and practices. As Talia said, this is just something we do in our daily lives. The packaging they use, the causes they support and even the ingredients they themselves eat. And lastly, the final origin story that I've noticed is one I call expert or master. This is something like, I put the time and effort in and became an expert of. A great example of this is from episode one with Morgan Hipworth of Bistro Morgan. Now, Morgan mastered the craft of cooking at the age of seven. And from there on, he got his first break serving slices and cakes to local cafes. That was before he perfected his gourmet artisanal donuts, and that enabled him to open up his first retail shop at the age of 17. Now, even though I have told you some of the more popular ways that an origin story can be expressed, there is a catch. These can't be fabricated. They've got to be real and genuine because your origin story is based on your life lessons, your experiences of who you are, and it expresses why you do what you do in your business. And you just can't fake all of that. And for those of you who might be thinking, yeah, that's a good thing for small startups or small businesses, why do you think big retailers like Woolworths feature in store those massive photos of real farmers? Why do we remember people like Carolyn Creswell of Carmen's Muesli? Or Janine Alice of Boost Juice? Or even remember David Pryor of 5am Yogurt Startup? Because whether you like them or loathe them, these founders have become memorable and distinctive and evocative representations of their businesses. They stand out amongst the faceless, impersonal masses that we deal with every day. So if you're a business founder or owner, I've just got to ask, why aren't you sharing your origin story? Well, that's it for episode 17. I'd like to thank my guest today, Talia Minot from Made With Raw Love, for sharing her authentic business experience with us. If you'd like to learn more about Made With Raw Love and connect with Talia as one food entrepreneur to another, I'll include all her social media links in the episode 17 show notes at www.eatdrinkinnovate/podcast. Thank you again for listening. If you like the podcast, hopefully you're listening as a subscriber. If so, thank you. If not, get onto it. And don't forget to share it with a fellow food startup or entrepreneur. Join me next time to eat, drink and innovate.
Do you have any suggestions about successful food or beverage entrepreneurs and innovators in Australia that you think Susie should be talking to? You can get in touch with her at eatdrinkinnovate.com.au forward slash podcast and find all the show note links and innovation resources there too. And if you like this podcast, please help others discover it by leaving a review on Apple Podcast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts from. 